0: All right. Well, uh, we are going to continue our discussion of the uh, Christian life according to Calvin. I uh, hope and trust that uh, as you've been reading and uh, studying it on your own, that has been beneficial. Um, I hope it has not been too difficult of a read, uh, though it is a very difficult uh, topic uh, to live out at times. Um, As we look at uh, this week. Uh, on uh, bearing our cross, it it leads directly from what we looked at last week about self-denial. These are really uh, heavy topics, uh, especially these two middle chapters in the Institutes here that we're looking at. Uh, Very difficult uh, at times, uh, very difficult uh, uh, topics to consider, but ultimately very uh, helpful uh, for us. So as we begin, uh, um, let us pray. Uh, and this time we will um, pray with uh, John Calvin, uh, who, who uh, will lead us in prayer. So if you would, bow your heads with me, and let's pray for God's blessing during this time. Grant, almighty God, since we are all lost in ourselves, that we may desire to obtain life where it is laid up for us, and where you do manifest it, namely, in your Son and grant that we may so embrace the grace that we have been exhibited to us in the sacrifice of his death, that we may be regenerated by his Spirit. And thus, being born again, may we devote ourselves wholly to you, and so glorify your name in this world, that we may at length be partakers of that glory that the same, your only begotten Son, has acquired for us. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what we uh, considered last week, a summary of everything we've looked at so far. We have looked at how the uh, Christian is to be holy because the Christian's Heavenly Father is holy. Be holy as I am holy. That's what we are called to do. That's, that's the, the end result that God is working in us, the result of our sanctification, is that we will be glorified, we'll be holy as He is holy. And we looked at how holiness means keeping God's holy law. God's holy law summarized by our Lord himself to love the Lord our God with all of our faculties and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we are to be holy as God is holy and we achieve holiness or we move toward holiness by keeping God's law, by loving God and loving others. And so Calvin wants to uh, develop this this rule, this guidebook from Scripture to help us achieve uh, this holiness. And so, Scripture gives us the model for uh, for um, for pursuing holiness, and that's by self denial. And so, that's what we looked at last week. Self denial, uh, Calvin showed us, helps us to love others properly, uh, helps us to love others rightly, gives us the uh, even the desire. To rightly love others and self-denial helps us to love God, and that's where we that's where we'll be uh, this morning, specifically uh, as we deal with adversity. So, part of loving God, uh, part of, of looking to Him, is trusting in Him uh, through adversity, uh, seeking Him uh, and trusting in Him during uh, suffering, no matter what that suffering might look like. And the the main image of what suffering looks like for the Christian is uh, bearing uh, our cross. Uh, so you might have heard that imagery um, as well. Uh, but that, that's, the, that's the sum of what we do. So th- that's, the, that's what uh, Calvin now turns to, is bearing one's cross. Uh, we've already looked at that verse in Matthew sixteen twenty-four, 24, where Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's the self-denial part we looked at last week. Let him deny himself and take up his cross, his cross, or her cross, your cross. That's what we are called to do when we are to uh, follow Christ. So self-denial and cross-bearing, they go together. Bearing one's cross is a part of denying oneself. And we know that this is an increasingly and an incredibly difficult thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do, yet this is what we are called to do. So Calvin concludes the previous chapter with these difficult but comforting thoughts. He says, Indeed, the believer should accept whatever comes with a gentle and thankful heart, because he knows that it is ordained by the Lord. And he'll also write, The rule of godliness is to recognize that God's hand is the sole judge and governor of every fortune. And because his hand is not recklessly driven to fury, it distributes to us both good and ill according to his orderly righteousness. And so, we see here how Calvin is now turning his attention specifically to uh, the problem of evil. How do Christians handle uh, the problem of evil? The problem being that evil exists, and we believe in an, a sovereign God, an all-loving God. Uh, so, so, why does evil persist? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? How does the Christian make sense of this? How do we respond when we see suffering... Uh, around the world, and when we experience suffering ourselves. Now this is the chapter. If I could have every single person uh, read one chapter, and I I hope that you are reading. If you picked up the book, you promised me that you were reading, so I I trust that you are. Uh, But if there's one chapter that I wish everybody would read, it'd be this chapter, especially those who uh, still view Calvin as some kind of cold and dispassionate and uh, uh, ivory tower theologian, but he is so pastoral and so warm, so compassionate, so loving in this chapter as he calls us and calls his his uh, beloved uh, uh, church members in Geneva as he's writing this to his, his kinsmen in France who are suffering persecutions for their faith. He wants them to have a childlike faith and trust in their God, and not just in an aloof and distant God, but in a loving, benevolent Father who loves his children. That's Calvin's goal in this chapter. So that's uh, what we'll be looking at this morning. Um, Similar to last week, uh, so this chapter has 11 sections, and we can divide up uh, those sections into three main headings. Uh, The first Uh, is just section one, where Calvin introduces the topic of cross-bearing. And he says very, very matter-of-factly, very obviously, that Christ followers will bear their cross as Christ bore his. If we are going to follow Christ, then that means that we will do what he did. And Christ bore his cross, and if we are servants, and if that's our master, then we will likewise bear our cross, whatever that might be. Then he'll go on, and, and in the, the next um, uh, sections 2 through 6, talk about how cross-bearing is used by God to produce Christians, to make us Christians, that is, to make us like Christ. It uh, helps us to grow in Christ-likeness, or uh, sanctification, if you will. And then finally, um, Christ, uh, cross-bearing helps us make sense of suffering, and now uh, turns from maybe somewhat more of a theological uh, discussion on sanctification and suffering to a very pastoral, um, this is why this doctrine is so important. And he, he will turn there. So let's um, <clears throat> to begin with that, that first section, that, that first heading. Uh, he begins this chapter with the very important but often very overlooked uh, truth of Scripture that part of the Christian life is suffering. That is part of the Christian life. This is self-evident from the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian means a little Christ. It means a Christ follower. If you are a Christian, if you follow Christ, which means that your life is supposed to look like his, and if your life is supposed to look like his, what did Christ's life look like? It was full of suffering and trial. And so scripture will uh, often uh, pose the question, are we better than our master? Should we expect a better life than what he experienced? If the father was pleased to put his own beloved son through trial and temptation and suffering, will he not do the same with us? Uh, as, As Calvin will say, having begun this way in Christ, referring to Christ's sufferings, having begun this way, uh, with christ, his only begotten son hes he continues similarly with all of his children and so scripture or sufferings rather sufferings are proof that we are god 's children because we 're suffering the way that his one and only beloved son suffered, as Paul says in philippians one twenty nine for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him but also suffer. For his sake. And so there, Paul uh, combines the act of of faith and suffering. We think of faith as so central to the Christian life. Well, for Paul, suffering is just as central. It's not an optional thing for the Christian, but it's central to the Christian life, uh, just as central as faith is itself. And Calvin will go on to describe the absurdity of expecting anything else in this life but suffering. And so he says, uh, his, referring to Jesus, his life was nothing other than a kind of perpetual cross. It wasn't just that final moment of his life when he was physically hanging from the cross, but his entire life was uh, was a kind of perpetual cross. Why then would we exempt ourselves from the same situation to which Christ our head was subjugated, or subjected, I should say, particularly since he was subjected to suffering for our sake to provide for us a pattern of patience in himself. And so he's saying if we want to be like Jesus, which is what we want to do, because if you remember from previous weeks, we have that inward change in our life, that change of desires. We want to be like the Lord that has saved us. We want to serve him. We want to live for him. And so if we want to do that, one, then we should expect suffering. But like the Christian life ex- itself, this is both uh, bad news and good news. It's, it's both something that's difficult but something that should give us and bring us joy uh, because uh, God works these sufferings in our lives for our ultimate good. And so Calvin uh, brings our attention to Romans 8, that very famous uh, passage, that uh, wonderful chapter in Scripture. Uh, I recommend uh, um, uh, Derek Thomas uh, I just discovered has a teaching series uh, on uh, Romans eight through uh, Ligoner where he uh, describes this chapter as the greatest chapter in all of scripture, which is maybe a bold claim but also maybe hard to hard to uh, hard to disagree with it 's a wonderful chapter, but I recommend it to you but in this chapter and specifically uh, near the end when he uh, when Paul talks about this this order of salvation or the golden chain of salvation. Or the ordo salutis, you might have heard in Latin. This foreknowledge and predestination and calling and justification and glorification is how Paul describes this, this order of salvation in Romans 8. And there's, there's more things we could add to that, but that's the summary of it. With glorification being the end result, that's the end goal, that's the good, which Calvin, or which Paul is referring to when he says that God works all things for good. Well, what what kind of good? Well, the ultimate good of our salvation and our glorification and our our, uh, life with God everlasting, eternal. And so from foreknowledge to glorification, from eternity to eternity, God is working all things for the good of his people. That's including all of our suffering. That God will use this adversity uh, because, and we'll see adversity, it proves that we belong to Christ. And as Calvin writes, this reality will uh, soften the bitterness of the cross, uh, that the more we uh, are afflicted with adversities, the more surely our fellowship with Christ is confirmed. And so by communion with him, the very sufferings themselves not only become blessed to us, but they also help much in promoting our salvation. And so in this orienting, this, this first uh, section in this chapter, uh, Calvin's uh, telling us that... Um, we bear our cross, um, and this is a good thing. And it uh, helps us to, to know and even provides assurance for us uh, that God does love us, uh, that we do belong to him, uh, and we belong to Christ who suffered for us. Well, how, how, how is this possible? What all does that mean? Uh, Calvin now turns to uh, just how uh, God works through uh, suffering and cross-bearing, to make us more like Christ, to achieve that end result, that end result of glorification, that end result of of sanctification reaching its final point, which is glorification, of being made perfectly like Christ. God uses uh, suffering. He uses the crosses that we bear to do that. And so the first thing he looks at he turns to is how bearing one's cross humbles the person and makes them rely on God for everything. Uh, I, I love Calvin. He just begins by stating the obvious that Christ didn't need to learn this lesson from bearing his cross. He didn't need to learn the lesson of trusting in his Father. Uh, Jesus trusted and loved his Father perfectly. But we need that lesson. We need the cross because it forces us to trust in God not only uh, and not in our own strength. We, we need that humbling constantly. We, we need that lest we grow too big in our own eyes. Uh, Calvin uh, points us to the example of David who writes in Psalm 30 that he, was, he had began to puff himself up as he saw the, the greatness and the vastness of his empire uh, instead of looking toward God as the true source of his prosperity. And so if this could happen to David, Calvin writes, so this could happen to the man after God's own heart. How much more would we need uh, these constant reminders uh, to uh, to humbly rely on God? Uh, we see this in Hosea as well. Um, it's, it's so clear in, in going through that book just how God's people had, had gone away to to trust in other gods and, uh, and even to the point of attributing all their prosperity to other gods. And so, uh, at one point God laments this fact, and he says, uh, God says that it was I who gave, uh, her, uh, Israel the grain, I gave the wine and the oil, and I was I who lavished on her silver and gold, which they then took and used for Baal. So this is, this is, this is how we, uh, all, all treat God at times. We, we all have this tendency to disregard God's good uh, providence and care for us and attribute those things to other things, to our own strength, our own achievement, to, to other gods even, or to other things. But God uses the cross uh, to uh, uh, bring judgment upon them, to, to punish them, and to punish us at times, but ultimately to restore them. The Lord, the Lord chastises those whom he loves, and we'll see that as we go along. He's like a father. A father disciplines his children. And so uh, that's what the our father does for us, disciplines us, that he might bring us to salvation. And so next then, Calvin looks at how cross-bearing uh, demonstrates uh, God's faithfulness to us and, and to those while they bear their cross. Uh, as he promised through Paul, that suffering produces endurance and endurance character. Uh, Christians will witness this reality firsthand as God brings them through whatever difficult providences that he visits upon them. Uh, this produces many benefits. Let me read this section uh, on page uh, 63. So, this is uh, book 3, chapter 8, which is where which is what we're in, and this is section 3. It's on page 63. And Calvin writes, It's no little thing, at the bottom of the page, to be stripped of our blind self-love, and thus to be made aware of our own weakness. Moreover, having been impressed with our own weakness, we learn to despair of ourselves. Then, having despaired of ourselves, we transfer our trust to God. And next, we rest in our trust in God, and we rely on his help and persevere unconquered to the end. Then, standing on his grace, we see that he is true to his promises. And finally, being confident in the the certainty of his promises, our hope is strengthened. So we bear through adversity, we make it to the other side, we realize all that God has done for us during that difficult season of life, and that helps us to bear through the next difficult season of life, and so on and so forth, until we reach the end and the Lord calls us home. And so cross-bearing demonstrates God's faithfulness. Similar uh, to that point, Calvin says there's two other ways that God uses cross-bearing to make us more like Christ. And that is that uh, bearing our cross, it trains us in endurance, and it trains us in obedience. Calvin points us to the example of Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his own son out of obedience to his father. It's not mentioned specifically there, uh, but certainly also in Calvin's mind, Abraham had endured so many years of, of, uh, of trials and doubts that this son of the promise would be born to him. So he has to endure all these years of, of waiting for God's deliverance and his, this son of the promise to, the, to be born. And then once he is born, uh, God calls him to obedience in sacrificing that child. Uh, Peter uh, will teach the same lesson that our faith is proven by trials as gold is refined in the fire in first Peter chapter one, and so thus calvin writes shouldn 't this most excellent gift of endurance, which believers receive from their God be put to use and made certain and evident? So when we experience trials, we can rejoice because these are opportunities to see god 's faithfulness and see how much we have grown in our endurance and in our obedience. Therefore, we shouldn't run from all the ways in which our Heavenly Father shapes us in obedience, Calvin writes. For it's right that we prove ourselves obedient to Him in every circumstance. So when's the last time that you've been tempted in some way and you've thanked God for that temptation, that opportunity to demonstrate your obedience to Him, that opportunity to prove that you love Him, or when you receive some kind of suffering. That's, that's, that's what Calvin's talking about here, that the, these, are, these are moments in our lives where we are being refined, when we are being sanctified, and, and we are to be thankful for those moments because we're proving ourselves to God. Just as God's proving his faithfulness to us, we, we have opportunity to show our obedience and our love for him. He'll go on, and then in uh, the next section... Uh, these next couple sections, some of my favorites, talking about how the Father uses cross bearing. So in this section, he, he talks, he describes uh, the crosses that we all receive, we all have to bear, as is a kind of medicine that the Father gives us. Um. So here uh, this that last section, looking at what, what we might do, how we are to live, Calvin then directs our gaze back to god and and shows well here 's what God is also doing, so we 're both we 're both working we 're both doing things, uh, but but Calvin directs our gaze back to God, that we would see that it 's god 's hand at work in our trials, that God is the great physician, and then sin and the desires of the world, the desires of the flesh, these are. This is the disease that rages uh, through our bodies, through our system, and, and through the world. This is what God is, uh, is curing uh, through these, uh, these crosses. And so thus, uh, Calvin states that the Lord himself providentially opposes, conquers, and restrains the ferocity of our flesh by the medicine of the cross. So the sufferings in this life we uh, will find that they are uniquely shaped uh, to us the crosses that we bear will be shaped for us to best serve us to cure our specific infirmities. So I love how Calvin describes this phenomenon on page 68. So following from the quote I just mentioned, that he uses the medicine of the cross, Calvin says he does this in ways that uniquely serve each believer's well-being. For we are not all equally or severely oppressed by the same diseases. Nor do we all require the exact same cure. And so we see that each believer is subjected to a different kind of cross. Our heavenly doctor, having purpose to restore all of us to health, treats some more leniently. Meanwhile, he applies stronger remedies to others, but none of us is left untouched by or remains immune to his medicine. He knows we are all diseased. I just love that. It demonstrates the, the Father's love for us, that he, he knows exactly what we need. He knows the dosage we need. Some of us don't need a, as a large of a dose. And, and like it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, we're never um, met with a temptation we're unable to bear. But God also knows that some of us are more hard-headed than others. And so sometimes uh, it doesn't need a slap on the wrist. Maybe it needs a two-by-four uh, across the temple. Whatever we need, Uh, God loves us so much. He cares for us so much. Our Father desires so much our salvation that he will do whatever it uh, it takes uh, to bring us across the finish line, teach us whatever lesson we need uh, to learn. I'm sure the, the parents in this room can relate to that as they, they're raising uh, children on their own. Not every child is the same. Not every child needs the, the same lesson or the same level of discipline or, or whatever. That's Just as, as, as surely as that's true, as we see that in our own families, um, that we, we uh, relate to our, our kids in different ways to best help them, God uh, does the same. And along with that, uh, this wraps up this second heading, on how uh, bearing our crosses produces Christians, how uh, bearing our suffering makes us Christians, makes us like Christ, uh, Calvin turns his attention to the Father's discipline. So it's medicine on one hand, it's discipline on the other. God is using that to, to grow us and to make us more like Christ. And so he points out, Calvin points out, that when we suffer, we shouldn't ask uh, why we suffer All we need to do, he says, is look back over our lives and we'll find abundant reasons why the rod of God's discipline might be against us. Our own past sins, our own past failures will make it clear that we deserve God's wrath and we deserve God's judgment. But Calvin says this is not the reason why we should bear through adversity in the present. This is a really important point. While it is true that, the sinners, uh, that, that we are sinners and that we justly deserve God's wrath, and that when we go through sufferings, it, it should remind us of the, the eternal punishment that uh, did await us, that we rightly deserved apart from Christ. But however, Calvin says the guilt and shame over our passion, past uh, sins should not be our sole focus, if, if our focus at all, when we're going through present sufferings. That's because the Christian does not relate to God as a vengeful judge. This is not just merely transactional, but the Christian relates to God as a father, as a loving father. And so Calvin writes, We shouldn't let awareness of our past sins serve as the principal reason for the call to endure suffering because, he says, Scripture supplies a more profound reason. And so what is that reason? The reason is that we are being lovingly disciplined by our Father in heaven, that we might be saved and be brought into relationship with him, and that we would not receive the condemnation of the world. And so Calvin will point to three different passages of Scripture as proof. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.32, that when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Then he looks to Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, and says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as, the father, as a father to the son in whom he delights. And then he goes to Hebrews chapter 12, where the author of Hebrews quotes that uh, proverb and says that if, we are, if you are or we are left without discipline, uh, then we are illegitimate children and not sons. That discipline is the mark of being uh, a son and a daughter of God. Let me uh, read for us um, briefly uh, Hebrews um, chapter 12, this longer section. It's so helpful for us. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And now he quotes from Proverbs 3, which we just read. My son, do not regard lightly the the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so now Hebrews goes on, verse 7, It is for discipline that you have to endure. They disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So you see right there the connection between bearing the cross and the ultimate goal of holiness, of of sanctification that leads to glorification. Uh, Verse 11, "For uh, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so Calvin will say this, in quoting that section of Hebrews, he says, Scripture teaches that there's a difference between believers and unbelievers. So Calvin says, Unbelievers become worse and more obstinate in consequence of the lashes they receive, just like slaves of earnest and deep-seated wickedness. Believers, on the other hand, they repent just like individuals gifted with the status of sonship. Choose then which one you will be. Will we be a son and a daughter of God? Will we receive his discipline with the knowledge and the understanding that he's doing it out of a fatherly love? Let me pause there and See if there's any any questions before we move on to the the third and final heading. The last few uh, sections. Are there any any thoughts or questions or anything that I could clarify? Yeah, yeah. Everything, like you said, pointing out everything is done from the mercy of God, and that's that's what Calvin wants his people to see, especially. And and we'll look at we'll we'll, we'll see this more in this next. Um, the next several sections. Just the, the immense suffering that uh, God's people experienced in past ages, compared relatively to our own, uh, is, is vastly different. But seeing that rather than uh, uh, a spiteful or a vengeful uh, wrath of a, a, a judge, uh, Calvin wants us to reorient our minds to see this is a mercy from the Father, this is a way that the Father loves us and cares for us, and that that is uh, such a, a life changing and a reorienting uh, framework through which we can we can view uh, suffering and, and trials and and the problem of evil. So that's a very very good uh, point to reiterate. Well, let me uh, continue, and we'll have some time at the end for any. Uh, other uh, thoughts or questions we might have, so Calvin uh, spent that that uh, or or those um, several sections talking about um, the process as it were, um, thinking through the framework or the blueprint of of a leads to b leads to c uh, this is how God produces Christians this is how we grow in christ likeness now in this this next these next several sections, this next heading, uh, Calvin wants us to get into the nitty-gritty. It's like, okay, that, that's great. We have the blueprint now, but now we're getting ready to build the house. We're getting ready to lay the foundation. Are we going to be able to do that correctly? Uh, that all sounds good on paper, but, but now I'm currently struggling with something. I'm currently struggling with a loss or suffering or pain. So how do I take all that helpful head knowledge, how do I apply it to my life? That's what Calvin wants us to, to see here. That cross-bearing, everything we've talked about, this this whole concept, it does help us make sense of suffering. And in fact, it's the only thing that can make sense of suffering. And so Calvin first uh, discusses uh, suffering for righteousness' uh, sake. That this is the common experience for the Christian throughout history and across the uh, globe uh, presently. Uh, This might not have been or may not be our our experience and the experience of Western Christianity uh, for the most part, uh, but perhaps those days are changing. Um, Perhaps we have uh, faced ridicule uh, for our beliefs. Uh, Maybe uh, things can be awkward at times uh, with family around the holidays. But apart from that, uh, God has been gracious to us uh, but uh, here in the West, but that has not been so throughout uh, history, and certainly across uh, the globe. The question for us, though, is: uh, Will we receive persecution with joy, knowing that God uh, that God uh, blesses those who are persecuted? And so uh, that's that's Calvin's point here in quoting uh, one of the Beatitudes uh, from Matthew uh, five, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Calvin says that we shouldn't judge ourselves miserable when by uh, his, that's Jesus' own mouth, he pronounced us blessed. <laughs> he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we shouldn't say we're miserable when Christ says we're blessed. <laughs> I love that. If Christ says something about you, then that's, that's the truth. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what you might feel in the moment, you, you listen to your master. You listen to your Lord. You listen to your Savior and what he says of you. By saying we are blessed in our persecutions is not to say that our persecutions are not real. It's not to say they're not painful. It's also not to say that we're not truly suffering. This will be a theme throughout these next sections. Calvin makes this point uh, in, in the final sections of this chapter. But Calvin says, when God's favor rests on us, None of these things need threaten our happiness. Let us therefore derive greater contentment from Christ's testimony about us than from the vain estimations of our own flesh. The world ridicules us. The world says it's ridiculous that we would be faithful to one's spouse. The world thinks it's insane that we would uh, keep the marriage bed holy. The world thinks it's, crazy, that we would gather in corporate worship as we're doing here this morning, uh, that we would spend time on a weekend when it's so nice out. We'd spend time in this, uh, this uh, stuffy room, as it were, and uh, talk about this old dead guy from uh, Geneva, wherever that is, or we'd go worship uh, this God and sing songs and pray and listen to, listen to some guy drone on for uh, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 minutes uh, I'm preaching this morning, so I'm just preparing you guys now. Or even 70 or no. That's what the world tells us. It tells us that such commitments are worthless, that we're fools to follow these words from Scripture. But we are not to regard the estimations of our own flesh, the estimations of the world, certainly not the estimations of the devil. All these different things are accusing us. We shut those out. We don't listen to them. The only thing we care about is what God has to say about us. And God says that we are his children, and he proves that we are his children through his promises, which include his promise that he will discipline us when we need it. So we suffer for righteousness' sake, and we also see that real suffering is always accompanied, this goes along right with it, always is accompanied by real comfort. Scripture tells us it's clear, it's abundantly clear that suffering is a part of the Christian life. Uh, Calvin still has in mind here um, suffering uh, through righteous persecution, but, but uh, all of suffering is included. We, we will at times receive forms of suffering because of our faith. At times we'll receive suffering because we live in a fallen world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And here in this section, we can definitively uh, put to death uh, that Calvin is, is a cold and heartless uh, individual. Uh, it's really fascinating. Calvin spends so much of his time writing against the Stoic philosophers of ancient Greece, and yet he gets, he gets accused of being a Stoic himself that he's emotionless, that he, that, uh, he, he wants us all to be robots in this life without expressing any emotion. Rather, Calvin says very clearly, we are to grieve fully. We are to grieve fully and we are to rejoice fully. He writes that the gladness that is required from us in the midst of persecution doesn't destroy every feeling of anguish and sorrow. For the saints' endurance regarding the cross wouldn't be called endurance if they weren't tormented with sorrow and choked with grief. Maybe you've felt tormented and choked by your grief and your sorrow. Calvin is saying that is real suffering. We're not supposed to pretend that this is not uh, something we're going through and that we have to put on a happy face and that we have to show up on Sunday mornings uh, and, and not bear any emotion whatsoever that we're all supposed to be happy and smiley. That's not the case. We're we're supposed to uh, weep with those who weep. We're supposed to seek comfort in God and seek comfort in our community. Uh, We are to weep with those who weep. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're to do that together in unity. And so, leading, leading along in that same thought, the Christian, like the Christian's master, So you, just like Christ, are able to give true expression to your sorrow and to your pain. And this kind of combination of of sorrow and joy that we're talking about can only be found in the Christian life because uh, it's what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so here Calvin brings uh, this verse to our attention in contrast to the Stoic philosophers that we mentioned. The Stoics would have us react the same way to adversity and to prosperity. They would have us react like a stone uh, without any uh, emotion whatsoever. Uh, and uh, Calvin writes, regarding them, what did the Stoics achieve by such sublime wisdom? <laughs> I love his sarcasm there. What did they achieve with this amazing wisdom that they, that they show? Calvin says, they painted a portrait of endurance that has never been found <laughs> nor can exist among men. Indeed, while they wished to represent endurance accurately and precisely, they deprived humankind of the power of genuine endurance. So in other words, the Stoics, Stoicism, is attempting to put a cross on our backs that nobody can bear. But it's through cross-bearing that God places upon us that we're actually able to accomplish uh, this this sanctification and grow and endurance and grow in uh, grace. So that's a reminder for us. We we don't try to put crosses on our own back so we can't bear, but we bear the cross that God places uh, upon us, and we look to Him in all things. Today there is kind of a, a we we do have that kind of stoicism, that uh, a boiled down version that basically just uh, tells us that we're supposed to endure pain and hardship without any display of feelings, without any complaints. That's, that's one way we sometimes look at suffering. I'd like to talk briefly about this other way. This is something that uh, Pastor Sloan uh, was really helpful with um, and bringing to my attention. Because it's so, it's so prevalent in, in our society today that we can, uh, we can make too much of our emotion. We can make too much of, of our complaints and vocalize them in such a way that actually uh, dishonors God and does violence to his law. So, so think with me, what are we to do when we face real and and deep pain. Uh, We see that there's two examples or two ways uh, in Scripture, two responses uh, to this pain. Uh, The first response is to complain uh, the way that the Israelites did. Uh, Their complaint was irreverent. Their complaint was angry toward God. This was the kind of complaint that Job's wife wanted Job to do when she told him, just curse God and die. This cursing of God, it's a violation of the third commandment, and the Israelites were were punished because of it. Um, But there is another complaint, another kind of complaint we see in Scripture. These are found in the Lament Psalms. These are the humble and reverent and faithful complaints that do not minimize the pain or the suffering that exists, but... Uh, In those uh, complaints, there is a seeking of God's understanding and a seeking of his mercy. So this this former kind of complaint is becoming more prevalent in our churches, I think. It's very common in our society. We're all all modern people and we value authenticity. We want people to be their authentic selves. uh, And and part of that is authentically uh, in in the church. We can authentically uh, vocalize our complaints to the Lord. Well... Let's just say God, God wants us to be authentic with him, but that does not mean that uh, we can approach him irreverently. Uh, we may truly feel, we may authentically truly feel like we want to curse God and die, that we're so angry with him and so fed up with him that we want to curse him, but that is a sin, okay, that we need to repent of. And it is not a thought or an emotion that God is pleased that we would vocalize to him. There is a way that we can vocalize our hurt and our pain with reverence to our Father in heaven. So we do not minimize our pain and suffering by pretending it doesn't exist. We also don't uh, um, uh, use that as a reason or as an excuse uh, to curse God, to break his law. But rather, as Christians, we, we follow Christ's example. Christ wept Christ groaned. He, he was moved to compassion over the plight of others. He, he wept with his friends, but he never cursed God. And rather, we see moments before he was betrayed, moments before he would be flocked and suffer the most violent and painful death, Scripture bears witness that the Son of God, the Son of God in the flesh, prayed to his Father and said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we let Christ alone, we let him be our model for enduring uh, suffering and being faithful in our trials. He goes on, and, and that's a really difficult section. This one, likewise, is very uh, difficult at times, one of the hardest ones, but it's, it's so helpful because uh, Calvin is so real about uh, what we go through. Uh, that we we don't have to minimize anything, uh, but we have everything in Christ when we we go to him. So he gives us this uh, rallying cry, as it were, um, as we go through suffering, whatever that might be, whatever our cross looks like. Um, Calvin helps us uh, to navigate through it. So by nature, Calvin, he rightly recognizes that our first instinct... Will be to run from suffering, and that makes sense. We, we, uh, we don't like suffering. <laughs> We're <laughs> we don't want to go through suffering. We would we would rather run from persecution, not run toward it. And and we shouldn't be seeking persecution, but we should be ready for it if it if it happens. So rather, uh, we are to uh, as as. Uh, In God's providence, as he lays uh, crosses upon us, when suffering is visited upon us, we we bear our cross with faith. And uh, when we keep God in our perspective, that'll aid us, that'll help us in our suffering. Uh, So Calvin writes, If then we want to be disciples of Christ, we should make it our aim to soak our minds in the sort of sensitivity and obedience to God that can tame and subdue every natural impulse contrary to his command. So it will be that no matter what kind of cross is placed upon us, we will steadily maintain endurance even through the narrowest straits of the soul. And one of the reasons I love uh, Calvin so much is he truly practiced what he preached. He wrote difficult things and hard things, but he really believed them. He really, uh, he walked the walk. And so he, he writes... Um, that uh, I think this is on page 81 is when he starts this. 81 into 82. He says, no matter uh, what kind of cross is placed upon us, here's what we must do. And, and he, he, he talks about, he gives examples of different kinds of crosses. And this man, this, the man Calvin, bore a lot of crosses in his life. And so he says, no matter what kind of cross is placed upon us, he says, indeed, adverse circumstances will keep their bitterness, bitterness, and we will feel their bite. So adverse circumstances. Well, Calvin's life, in a way, was a series of adverse circumstances. His constant travel, his, his not being able to make it to uh, Strasbourg, his, his having to flee from France over fear of persecution, having to travel through alternate routes because of war and unrest, uh, deciding to settle in Geneva after his his friend Farrell uh, called a curse down upon God upon him if he would leave. He decides to stay in Geneva only to get kicked out a year later only to finally get to somewhere where he felt like he could rest and have a decent life, only to be called back to Geneva because they realized they needed him. And then once he returned to Geneva and there to stay, his life was always met with difficulty and, and suffering and adverse reactions and bitterness. And so indeed, he writes, adverse circumstances will keep their bitterness and we will feel their bite. He also says when inflicted by illness, we will groan and toss and long for health. And this man, Calvin, he was an overworked and uh, died a frail old man at the young age of 54. <laughs> he lived several lifetimes in his, his relatively short life. And he, uh, his health paid the toll for his, his work and his labor. Uh, throughout his life, Calvin suffered from various combinations of malaria-like fevers. He had tuberculosis, he had ulcerated veins. Uh, he had kidney stones. Kidney stones of such a great size and pain, he actually writes in one of his letters to some physicians he knew. He writes about how one was so painful, it, it, it lacerated on the way out. And he was full of pain for some days because of that. He had hemorrhoids for most of his life. And later in life, he'd be unable to walk due to severe gout and arthritis in his, in his feet. He would be able, unable to exercise and ride a horse because of the ulcers. Uh, he'd be uncomfortable to sit as he studied. He would uh, not be able to exercise, so that would that would uh, only increase his pain. This man truly knew illness. He he truly knew what it meant to groan and to toss and be unable to sleep. He writes when pursued by poverty. We will feel the stings of sadness and anxiety. Calvin died without much uh, to his name. He left a few small sums of money to the college he started in Geneva. He left uh, an equally sized small sum uh, to uh, a local treasury uh, for poor foreigners that were traveling and staying in Geneva. And he left um, somewhat larger sums, but still not much money, uh, to uh, his family, to his brother and some nieces and nephews. But he didn't own uh, furniture. His his, uh, his place was furnished by uh, the city, uh, and he uh, did not uh, know much of of wealth in his life. And he writes, We will bear the weight of sorrow at dishonor and contempt and injustice. He was claimed a heretic in his own home country of France. He wrote the prefatory uh, address, Uh, of the Institutes, the first edition, he addressed it to King Francis, the first of France, in part to vindicate himself, but also to uh, vindicate and demonstrate that these French Protestants were were being wrongly persecuted. Uh, Calvin would write that he really didn't have any desire to return to his hometown, uh, that he would stay in his adopted uh, city of Geneva, but even there he met uh, a lot of contempt, uh, even having... um, Citizens uh, naming their dogs after him. Uh, not the act of endearment it might be today, uh, but an act of ridicule. He was exiled from Geneva, like we said, and uh, even uh, after his return, he fought with the city council for many years until some relative uh, years of peace near the end of his life. But he, he was met with much contempt and dishonor and sorrow throughout his life. He writes, when loved ones die, we will naturally, naturally weep. Not much is known about Calvin's personal life. We do know that he was married only once uh, to the widow, uh, Edalette in August of 1540. On July 28, 1542, uh, she gave birth to Calvin's only child, a son named Jax. Uh, he was born prematurely, and he would die a few days later. And we don't know exactly what happened, but possibly due to some complications with childbirth. Uh, His wife, Edolette, would pass away a few years later in 1549. And in letters to his friends, Calvin discusses the pain that came with the loss of his wife, and I'd like to just read uh, briefly. In one letter to a friend, he says, I have been bereaved of the best companion of my life, of one who, had it been so ordered, would not only have been the willing sharer of my indigence or extreme poverty, but even of my death. And he will write uh, a few days later, near his own death. Uh, he says, uh, this is a letter to Pharaoh, he says, that she was unable to speak and her mind seemed to be troubled. I, having spoken a few words out of the love of Christ, the hope of eternal life concerning our married life, And her departure, I engaged in prayer. In full possession of her mind, she both heard the prayer and attended to it. Before eight, she expired, so calmly that those present could scarcely distinguish between her life and her death. I at present control my sorrow so that my duties may not be interfered with. But in the meanwhile, the Lord has sent other trials upon me. Adieu, uh, brother. And very excellent friends, may the Lord strengthen you by His Spirit, and may He support me also under this heavy affliction, which would certainly have overcome me, had not He who raises up the prostrate, strengthens the weak, and refreshes the weary stretched forth His hand from heaven to me. So, how does Calvin summarize the experience of his own life and what He's calling His readers to do as well? He concludes this section by saying this This will always be our conclusion when faced with these crosses. Nevertheless, the Lord has willed it. Therefore, let us follow in his will. And so Calvin turns his attention now to the final section of this chapter. He brings his discussion of cross bearing to a close and highlights more fully just how different the Christian's view of suffering is from the world and whatever philosophy may say. Uh, the Stoics, uh, like, like Seneca, uh, who uh, Calvin knew very well from his studies, um, uh, they cannot offer a truly valuable reason for enduring suffering. The best they can come up with is no better reason than to say, well, suffering exists, so we might as well suffer through it. This is not the Christian understanding. Suffering is a part of life, but God uses it as a means of salvation through the progress of daily sanctification, conforming us to the image of our Lord and Savior. And so thus, Calvin says, if it's clear that tribulations work toward our salvation, shouldn't we accept them with a grateful and calm spirit? In bearing them with endurance, we're not yielding to necessity, but we're we're assenting to our own good. Only within a Christian worldview does suffering make sense. The problem of evil is a problem for everyone, regardless of what your belief system, system and worldview is. But only the Christian, only the cross of Jesus Christ, only in his cross does the problem of evil have a solution. And so we look to the cross, we look to Christ, and uh, everything, wh- whatever we go through, Calvin says, we look to the Lord. Well, we'll end there. Uh, thank you uh, for your attention, your time. Uh, next week, we'll we'll continue uh, with the next chapter. Thank you.